Then when we try to offer books that reflect our values and our ideas and you know our understanding of reality and truth, suddenly it becomes problematic and we don't belong there. So it, it, it is concerning to, to kind of see the, the hypocrisy there. Yeah. Joyful Warriors, welcome to the Joyful Warrior Podcast. Today, we are joined by a special guest, Catherine Rahimian. Catherine was the Orange County, California chapter chair for Moms for Liberty. And then uh, a passion uh, was uh, ignited, uh, a spark was created in the work that she was doing in her chapter. And we have something wonderful uh, that Catherine has spearheaded called the, the Moms for Libraries program. And that is run out of the Moms for Liberty Foundation. That's our C3. And so um, just so excited to have Catherine here and to talk about her passion for reading and books, her experience in California as a mom, as a, a Moms for Liberty chapter chair, um, what she's learned about libraries, funding, books and how we are going to work to solve some of the issues that we have seen with some of this inappropriate content in the libraries across the nation. Because Catherine and I both feel like, my goodness, what the heck is going on with these books in these libraries, right? So Catherine, welcome to the Joyful Warrior podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Tiffany. Um, yeah, my name is Catherine Rahimian. I'm a mom here in Orange County, California. I'm originally from the Midwest, Indiana. Um, so it's been really interesting to start seeing the differences in the school systems that I grew up with in Indiana and what we're seeing here in California. Um, of course, I was an English major in college, so reading was always kind of a top priority for me. And when we started planning a family, we looked at our local elementary school and saw the reading scores were in the low 30s, high 20s, depending on the year you looked at. Math scores were even lower than that. And that was very concerning for me as a parent. I was a big reader as a kid. Um, it, it was just something that I didn't expect with with how great everything seems to be in California with the with the funding that they claim to have. And um, it just didn't make much sense with the property taxes we were paying that that was the scores we were receiving. So we kind of knew several years ago that something wasn't quite right. Um, but it was really only in the last few years that I think a lot of parents woke up to some of the things going on in schools. And I think uh, kind of the lockdowns and the virtual schooling opened a lot of parents' eyes to these issues. And that is, again, when I started realizing I needed to actually be more involved. And so, yeah, that's that's how I was born into the Moms for Liberty world. That's so awesome. And thank you. We thank you. And, and, and so, you know, people sometimes talk about, oh, Moms for Liberty isn't a grassroots organization. We're about as grassroots as it gets. <laughs> Real moms and dads on the ground, recognizing that the school systems are not giving children uh, the opportunity to unfold their full potential. And I, like you, love to read. I grew up, you know, reading everything that I could get my hands on. And so I think mm -hmm. we can all as parents say that our kids really don't love reading anymore. And, and you know, you have to question and wonder why that is. Um, I served as a school board member, Catherine. And so, uh, you know, really looked at the funding that was, you know, given to libraries and the way that libraries were prioritized um, in schools. And so 
I I thought, you know, when we were talking about all these books and the idea of, you know, people talking about banning books and librarians, I said, well, I'm so happy we're at least calling them libraries again instead of media centers, right? And I'm so happy that we're actually calling librarians librarians instead of media center specialists because um, I've seen all of these games played uh, with cutting funding to libraries and arts and other things at schools um, that you and I both know kids find an enormous amount of enjoyment and fulfillment and it's such a great extension of the learning that happens in the classroom. Um, but we want to make sure that those books that are in the libraries are, are, are well-curated uh, content, right, that, mm-hmm. that really supplement the learning that should be happening. So tell us a little bit about what you've learned about funding for libraries. So in, in California, it's pretty interesting. Uh, they go back and forth on whether or not there is going to be any state funding for the school libraries. And so For a while, up until I want to say about 2019 or so, there was a state block grant that was funding primarily the major funding of the school libraries. That ended, and now there is nothing coming from the state, even though we're supposedly sitting on a surplus that's just not a priority. And so what happens is you start to see a very big disparity between these different school districts because their school libraries are a reflection of the property taxes and the home values in that area. So a lower income area is going to have oftentimes no library at all, which was shocking to me that 16% of California schools don't even have a library. Um, So much of that's dependent on the district itself. And as well, they they have a severe shortage of credential teacher librarians where they hold a dual credential for as a teacher and a librarian. And that's kind of the gold standard that they would like to have in every school. And they don't have that. So they're relying a lot on volunteers. The school libraries are closed more days than not, shortened hours, those kinds of issues of access, even if you have a school library. Um, The other issue you have is that uh, they rely so much on private funding. So a lot of times that that comes from scholastic fundraisers and that kind of thing. A lot of times it comes from parents hosting some kind of fundraiser for the school library. Um, But unfortunately, a lot of times it does come from private organizations, nonprofits and and organizations that go in there. And oftentimes they're doing good work, but oftentimes, depending which one you're looking at, uh, not so much, you know, so it, it really is disappointing that we don't have the library funding that we need to really get kids into reading. No, I I think you're absolutely right. I I will say, however, that some of the things that I've seen as far as the American Library Association and some of the folks that are involved there, I know they have a new president who is a self-proclaimed Marxist. Um, literally, you know, in a tweet saying, I can't believe how exciting it is to have a, a Marxist that has been elected to head up the library association. So, you know, really some concerns here, right? You've got parents who want their kids to be reading, but then what's in the libraries? What is the actual content that's there and how are they vetting? The, that content, right? How are they choosing what's going to be there mm-hmm. and, and what should be there um, and what should be added? And so, um, you know, when we talk a lot about libraries, we talk a lot about intellectual freedom and academic freedom. And I think mm-hmm. it's an important component, but we also talk about public school libraries. And, and I think a public school library is a little bit different than a public library, right? Um, in the sense that they're serving mm-hmm. primarily children uh, and you're dealing with parents who are to be an equal partner in their children's education. So certainly have and should have access and knowledge about what their kids are able to read at school. And, and you know, uh, part of the fun of picking out a book is looking through books, Right looking at mm-hmm. them, reading the back, you know, maybe reading the first few pages and seeing if it piques your interest. And um, so when we talk about, you know, um, 
uncensored library books in in schools, that gets a little concerning to me, I think, because we do want to have that safety for exploration. Yeah, absolutely. It's and and I agree with them on a lot of the points, the the platitudes that you hear about. You know, every child should be able to see him or herself in the library. If if you have a library that is in you know a, it, that is in a Los Angeles school district school and they primarily serve Black and Hispanic students, then it wouldn't be appropriate, for, in my opinion, to have books that don't reflect that population. So of course you want to have books that reflect the student body, but I think what gets lost in all of this is that you they don't really seem to want to include our ideas or our viewpoints or our cultural backgrounds if it doesn't necessarily agree with what they're trying to do. So, you know, they they say that they want, you know, a diversity of viewpoints and all these things. But um, then when we try to offer books that reflect our values and our ideas and, you know, our understanding of reality and truth, suddenly it becomes problematic and we don't belong there. So it it, it is concerning to to kind of see the the hypocrisy there. Um, I think you're right. And I think it's been interesting because I absolutely think you're correct that children should see themselves in the books. But I think sometimes what we've seen in the past 10 years is that a lot of these books have been written, um, you know, trying to be marketed to different identity groups, but then it's kind of Uh keeping with this group think idea where that everyone who looks a certain way or lives in a certain place is going to think in the same way and have the same beliefs. And that is just not true. We know that, right? And so... Um, I know mm-hmm. that you have done work with Moms for Libraries. So why don't you tell everyone a little bit about what what is Moms for Libraries? So it's it's funny. We actually got the idea for it um, by looking at how are these other books that, you know, we find inappropriate. How are they getting in there? And as you mentioned, sometimes it's recommended. It'll be on a recommendation list from the American Library Association and the school will purchase it. Um, but a lot of times these these school libraries can't afford to purchase anything. Um, and if they do, it's generally reserved for reference materials, some kind of nonfiction for a, a school report. And so pleasure reading is not really a priority for them. Uh, so a lot of these are coming from, as I mentioned, these different nonprofits, which are heavily funded by corporations. If you look into the corporate sponsors, you're talking the business, um, the business world of uh giant banks and credit card companies and things that don't even really have anything to do with literacy, um, entertainment companies, media companies. And, and so we thought, well, why, why is nobody doing that to reflect our values and our um, understanding of reality? So we thought, well, I guess we'll be the first ones to do it. And so we started reaching out to some publishers that were producing material that, you know, we wholeheartedly could endorse and we would want um, in our school libraries. And they, they were just, very happy with the idea of a symbiotic re- relationship there. Um, so we were able to partner with different publishers uh, to promote literacy and to um, provide their content to these students who, who really need some additional reading materials, in my opinion. That's so awesome. So why don't you tell us about some of the partners that we've been able to work with? Uh, so one of the first partners we got was with Brave Books, and they produce a lot of um it's a very interesting world building experience. Uh, they have a, a system of heroes and this big map with stickers where you unlock a hero and you put it on the map. So the kids get really into it. There's little games in the back, um, but it's a very beautifully illustrated series uh, where the, the predominant recurring villain is called the culture vulture. And so the culture vulture will come and whisper in your ear these different things. And then you go through the story and you find out what's the truth and what's really not the truth. And so the, the book that we have from them is called Elephants Are Not Birds, which is a, it's a very on-the-nose um, counter to some of the gender ideology books that we're seeing 
put in as, as some of the groups I found are targeting as low as preschool through third grade. Um, so we wanted to kind of, you know, represent the other side of that of that discussion. And so that's a, a story about an elephant who really wants to sing. So he thinks he wants to be a bird. And then by the end of the story, he discovers, hey, I'm, I'm never going to be a bird. I'm an elephant, but elephants can sing, too. I'm I'm great as I am. I don't need to change. And so that that was kind of the first one where we we're like, OK, this is this is pretty, um, pretty in line with how we feel about this issue. Um, but feeling about, also got, I'll interrupt you for a second. Yes. Yeah. Make, helping children to feel good and comfortable in the body that they were born in, right? I mean, you know, so right. we talk, these are serious issues that parents are dealing with right now. And there's a lot of influence. And I know, you know, you're in California, comprehensive sex ed standards. You know, one of those mm-hmm. is teaching gender identity in kindergarten, first, second, right. third grade. So, you know, to right. be able to help children to feel happy and comfortable. <laughs> confident and comfortable in their own body is lovely and wonderful. And so I thank you for that. Um, so parents, if you're looking for a book uh, to be able to read with your kids, yes, uh, do we have it? Do you have it right there? Oh, awesome. Yeah, show us. Yes. Elephants are not birds. Here. Who is the author, Catherine? Yes. Uh, this is by Ashley Sinclair. Ashley Sinclair. She is, uh, the nice thing about Brave Books is they have a subscription service. So every month you get a new book by a different author. So they're always mixing things up and get, they'll tackle a different kind of issue or um, value each time. So it's really interesting to see what they come out with each Awesome. Time. Do we have a promo code for Moms for Liberty Moms that we can share? Is there anything? Yes, it is uh, Moms, the number four, libraries. Libraries. Awesome. So Moms for Libraries, go on there and subscribe mm-hmm. to Brave Books and start getting books every uh, mm-hmm. month for you and your kids to read. And I know that's one of my favorite things to do is to curl up with my kids and read a book. All right. So who are some of our other yeah. partners? Um, so I can show you one of my one of my personal favorites is uh, Why America Matters. This is a book by Dr. Ben Carson. Um, this is just the epitome of wholesomeness. And I think this goes to what you were saying about the um, seeing ourselves reflected in our school libraries. And <clears throat> the issue with that is, I, in my personal opinion, diversity is is a great idea. But I think unity is an even better one. I think we've lost that common identity that unites us and gives us a shared value system and a common identity. And then you start breaking people into smaller and smaller segments. And of course, that just causes people to butt heads between one segment or another. And the great thing about this Dr. Ben Carson book is that he talks about um, universal values that make us Americans and what that means and why it matters. And, And I think it's just, my son especially loves these little drawings in the front, all these different famous Americans in history. And he'll always ask me, oh, who's that one? And sometimes I'm like, I'm not sure. I didn't learn this in school. But uh, it's really fantastic. It's it's a really good example of um, bringing people together instead of trying to separate them. Well, thank you, American Cornerstone Institute. That is uh, Dr. Ben Carson's yes. nonprofit that he has. And, um, you know, we're just thankful for everything that he and his wife, Candy, have done. They were at our summit, Catherine, and, and speaking and sharing uh-huh. about the work that they do. And I know they're doing work to build reading rooms uh, all over the country. They've put uh, quite yes. a few in Florida schools. And so um, just the, you know, he said he when he, he learned to read and, and fell in love with books, his mom uh, made him be a passionate reader. She He was a little reluctant uh-huh. at first, but then he just couldn't get enough. And he he really does work to give that gift uh, to everyone. So thank you to uh, to Dr. Ben Carson for being a partner as well. Who else? All right, we have we have a really exciting one. I'm sure a lot of people have heard of them. We have the Tuttle Twins. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the Tuttle Twins was fantastic because um, 
uh, they donated uh, an entire set. So we would get 12 books that we could then distribute to the schools and libraries um, that were in need. And uh, there, this is a fantastic series that covers, it covers law, it covers economics, it covers um, different ideas about the market. Uh, one, one of the really interesting ones is the Miraculous Pencil, which discusses how nobody knows how to make a pencil because you need so many people to participate in that. You need somebody that knows how to harvest the rubber material. You need someone that knows how to harvest wood. You need someone that knows how to make the lead, how to put it all together. And so you have to work together as a team, as, a, as, a, as an economy to produce things like this. And so it introduces these concepts in a really um, age appropriate and fun way. And um, the entire series is just fantastic. It's, a, it's a, um, all based on actual facts and history and, and rights and discussions like that, but it, it's fictionalized with characters that are really entertaining and, and you get to know them over the series. So it's really a lot of fun to read. That sounds like a lot of fun. So what age range is the Tuttle Twins for, Catherine? Do they have a recommended range? Four to 12. Okay. Yeah, they say four to 12, but uh, I'll be honest with you. I have read it to my two and a half year old and he will sit through the whole thing, which is impressive. It's there, they can be um, a little bit lengthy, but he really gets into the, the ideas and the illustrations. And so, yeah, four to 12, but I think it's appropriate for anybody, especially even as an adult, you might learn some things in there. I think I would learn, learn some school, stuff. So. Yeah, it sounds good. It's <laughs> yeah. really good, actually. So, okay, so tell us, I think you have a couple more, at least one more that I'm aware of, just kind of burning in my head that I know. I, I just saw um, one of, I remember I did a report on Harriet Tubman when I was in um, mm -hmm. elementary school. And it just left such a lasting, um, you know, mark on me to think about her courage and bravery. And I know that we have, I saw recently that you were saying that there was a new Harriet Tubman book that had been uh, distributed out to some libraries. So tell us about uh, that series. Oh yeah, that one is so new for us that I don't have a copy okay. on hand. Um, but I believe you're speaking of the Heroes of Liberty, yes. which is a really fantastic series. Um, they do uh, biographies. And so those are really well illustrated, uh, really interesting reads about different, uh, basically as uh, conservative voices or people that speak to the ideas of liberty and freedom. And um, she was certainly one of those people that we should all aspire to. Um, it takes a lot to put everything on the line and especially to help other people to discover their own freedom and liberty. Um, she's a fantastic role model for everybody. So yeah, we're very excited to have that in our in our program as well. So big shout out to Bethany Shondark, right? Um, and, mm -hmm. and Heroes of Liberty uh, for being such an amazing partner with the Moms for Libraries program. Is there anything else that you, did I miss anybody? You have some other things you want to mention? We have, we have a few okay. more I'll go through real quickly. Um, this is from Good and True Media, Jack and the Fantastical Circus. And this is a really fun one about a little boy who falls asleep on a train and dreams that he's in the circus. And each performer teaches him a different virtue. And uh, the virtues are very common, universal. It's something that we should we should all aspire to. So ideas like patience, courage, uh, kindness, and um, having faith in the people around you to catch you. They talk about the people swinging on the trapeze. You have to have faith in that person's going to catch you even when you can't see them. And so it's a really fantastic book that discusses all these different virtues. That's one of my son's personal favorites. Um, and the Good and True Media has a lot of really interesting multimedia as well. They have uh, YouTube videos that they are really great for teachers to play along with the children reading the book. So um, they, they really kind of go all out with the, the multimedia aspect of so it. So that's Good and True Media. People can do a search for that and <laughs> yes. find that? Okay, great. 
Jack and the Fantastic. Yes. And these, should, these will all have the same promo code, the mom's number four libraries. It's all of them except for the Dr. Ben Carson book. Um, they just wanted to donate for the thrill of it. So uh, they didn't need a promo code, but they were they were very excited to participate. Um, and the last one I'll go over real quick is this actually our most recent uh, edition is um, Classical Historian, which is actually uh, founded and published by a local teacher here in uh, Orange County, California. And he went through the process of getting this approved through the state. It's used in multiple school districts here. So it's all on the up and up. But he does his own history curriculum. Oh, wow, look at that. And it's, it covers everything in Western history. So the story of liberty, he has even going back to medieval history, um, you know, all kinds of workbooks for teachers and students. So it's able to help teachers lesson plan and things like that. So a lot of the teachers are very appreciative of that. Um, they also have a couple of really cute games, different games to learn the Constitution, ancient history, world history, and these little memory games make it really come alive for the kids. Um, so he's he's got some really just a wide uh, selection of materials that are great, actually, for homeschooling as well. But um, the teachers are responding really well because it, it, it gives them something to plan around. It gives them activity ideas and worksheets and things like that. So we're very happy to have Classical Historian as well. Same promo code for them. Okay, so Moms for libraries. Classical Historian, who is the author of that those those pieces, those works? Uh, John DeGreet. John DeGreet. And so um, yes. where do people go if they'd like to, to, to look at that curriculum or perhaps purchase those games? Does he have a website? How can we access that? Yes. Uh, classicalhistorian.com. Classicalhistorian.com. So if you're listening, go to mm -hmm. classicalhistorian.com. If you want to help your kids to brush up on real history, um, you can go there and, and take a look at, at the curriculum that they have. It's wonderful to see uh, curriculum being um, written locally like that and, and going through that approval process in the state and not having these national conglomerate curriculum, you know, groups that are writing the, this curriculum and forcing it down into schools and um, it, it's nice to have that, that so wonderful. That's just great. So Catherine, how many, tell us what has moms for libraries been able to accomplish so far to give me some numbers. I want to know, cause I know you've been, <laughs> Tina's been telling me you got, you're just doing an amazing job. Oh, well, thank you. No, I, I'm very appreciative to these publishers. Um, they were extremely generous on an idea that hadn't been proven just yet. I'm happy to say we do have proof of concept now. Um, the program's working really well. And we have uh, received to date 5,873 books um, and counting. We're still getting more, especially ahead of the holiday season. I know a lot of them are looking to get something out before the end of this uh, semester. So um, we're also looking at expanding into upper grade levels. So we have another book that will be coming out. Can't say just quite yet, but we have another book that they donated 1,000 copies. Wow. And it will be coming out very shortly for our school, um, for school libraries and classrooms. And that will be an upper grade book. So we're really excited as well to go from this elementary level and dive into some more complex topics and ideas, get into some more detail for these older students to have something more challenging to engage with. That's wonderful. And so give me a little overview of how you work with the chapter. So do you, how are we, how are these books making their way across the country? So it's all things to the chapter chairs. Um, they sign up with me and give me a shipping address and we try to divvy it up as fairly as we can. And then they and their volunteers work really hard to find receptive teachers and classrooms, um, libraries, school libraries, and the, sometimes the school boards are involved as well. And that's always really fantastic to hear. Um, we've had really great reception. Um, so a lot of it's based on the positive relationship that these chapter chairs have developed with their local school districts. They've worked really hard and 
Um, I think sometimes it gets lost in headlines, how much good they're doing and how much people in their communities actually really respect them and the work that they do. And so it's actually been a very seamless, easy process to get these books in, in, in loving homes that now now these kids can access. Them. I think that's wonderful. And, and you're right. It, it, this is it's all about relationships. Everything that we do is about relationships. Mm-hmm. And our kids deserve for us to find ways to work together. And I think being able to work together to get really positive books into the hands of kids and families so they can read things that are enriching to them in their lives is so important. So Catherine, um, anything else you'd like to add about Moms for Libraries? Give us the give us how we can get more information about it. Uh, well, we're we're working on launching our website. It will be at uh, m4 the number four m4lfoundation.org, and pretty soon we're hoping to have a static web page where you can always come and find out. Uh, which books are part of this program and um, what promo codes you can use to add it to your own home library. And just to clarify the promo codes, if, if usually with an affiliate code, you see some influencer on Instagram. Um, you you get 10, 20% discount. 10% will go to that publisher and 10% will go to the influencer. But we're not taking any of the money. It's not, it's not for us. What it does is it goes back to the publisher and sets in a fund that helps us to get more books. As soon as it builds up enough, we'll get another shipment of books. Um, so when you get that 20% discount, you're not only adding these books to your home library for your own kids to read at home and for you to reinforce these ideas at home, you're also helping us to donate more books. Um, so it's a really great program where everybody wins. And so we're just really excited. Everyone's very excited. So um, yeah, once we have that website live, you'll be able to find those promo codes. But it's it's moms, the number four, libraries um, for, for basically everyone. <laughs> Wonderful. So Catherine, I just want to say thank you. I think part of what makes moms, oh, there are my dogs. I apologize. It happens sometimes. (laughs) Part of what makes uh, the work that Moms for Liberty does so special is because it really does bring out the best in who we are as people. And seeing the passion that you have for reading and books and your family and being able to translate that into creating something like Moms for Libraries is so wonderful. And we just thank you for bringing all of your gifts and talents to the work that you do with us and being such a wonderful partner. Um, And uh, we're very appreciative of you and the work that you do. So thank you very much. Thank you, Tiffany. Thank you for providing the platform. If we didn't have access to this network of moms all throughout the country, none of this would be possible. I couldn't do this by myself. So thank you for allowing me the platform to do it and to all the chapter chairs and their volunteers that are, they're all boots on the ground that are getting this done. I'm just kind of organizing the overall system, but it's really these volunteers that are meeting these teachers and, and handing these books over physically. It's really incredible to see. We're, we're getting more and more pictures in, more and more testimonials. So guys, follow us on our Facebook, Moms for Libraries. You'll see every Wednesday, we're posting a winning Wednesday. We're where we show pictures of happy kids, teachers, librarians showing off their books. It's really having an impact. Um, so, you know, everybody who makes a purchase with the promo codes is also able to help. It's it's teamwork, guys. It's everybody participating. Awesome. So don't forget to take those pictures, please. Post them. We want to see them. We want to see kids reading. Um, right now in America, uh, really only about a third of kids are reading proficiently on grade level. And yet our graduation rates seem to continue to increase. And I think moms and dads across the country are very, very concerned about the fact that that we continue to pour more and more money into an education system that is not teaching our kids how to read. 95% of children have the ability to learn to read. That's neurodiverse kids as well. There is no reason that children are not learning to read, and literacy is equity. 
every child deserves to learn to read. So Catherine, thank you for everything that you're doing with Moms for Libraries. We'll keep working with all of our chapter chairs around the country to make sure that they're getting access to books. And we appreciate you joining us today. Hey, Joyful Warriors, we're back this week with another Joyful Warrior update. We've got another mom who won one of the Founders Awards at uh, the Moms for Liberty Summit that we had in Tampa from July 14th through the 17th. And so I'm just super excited to introduce Jennifer Kelly uh, from Volusia County, Florida to the Moms for Liberty Joyful Warrior podcast. Hi, Jennifer. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm wonderful. So Jennifer, you won the Abigail Adams Award at the summit. You were nominated by your chapter, and then we chose out of three different chapter chairs across the country, you were chosen for this award. And I just want to read what this award was for. So the Abigail Adams Award was awarded for holding decision makers accountable or working to replace them. Abigail is famous for her letters on public policy. She advocated for education, women's rights, and abolition, despite never receiving much formal education herself. Like Abigail, this award goes to someone who works to affect good public policy by holding decision makers accountable and building relationships that enable the work of liberty to move forward. And at Moms for Liberty, we're very, very involved in building relationships. Uh, Jennifer, I just want to read why your chapter selected you quickly. Um, This is what they said. They said, Jennifer is gifted at exposing unethical behavior and complex issues in ways that are easy for the public to understand. She builds relationships at times, even with those she does not agree with, for the benefit of the students in her school district. Jennifer was instrumental in reversing a school district policy that explicitly instructed staff to withhold crucial information from parents about their child. She also played a key role in exposing a corrupt school superintendent, leading to his dismissal. There's that holding people accountable part. She, uh, where, where did was I? There we go. Due to her efforts, the community is engaged. Good teachers and staff have made the decision to stay in public education and dangerous policies have been reversed. Jennifer Kelly, you have been busy in Volusia County. What is going on? Yes, we have been very busy. Um, I guess if we want to talk about the holding, um, uh, holding people accountable, we had a superintendent um, that pushed for masking um, even after the governor had done his executive order saying that the kids aren't going to be masked, even after we had the first parental bill of rights law passed, he still encouraged the school board to reinstate the mask mandate at the beginning of the 2021-2022 school year. At that point, we knew that he wasn't good for our students. He wasn't good for our families. And it ended up he wasn't good for our teachers as well with um, orders that he put on them. Uh, So we exposed him pretty much. He stated during a school board meeting that he feels that parents that do not mask and vaccinate their children are bad parents. And I started a hashtag, hashtag fire Fritz, and it gained a lot of momentum. It awoke a lot of parents and we had really good turnouts for public comments during uh, the school board meetings to have this reversed. Awesome. So unfortunate to see an educational leader who is, you know, really not listening to parents and not respecting parental rights, but good job. Um, holding that person accountable 
and and how are things going in in your schools now in Volusia? What's the situation with the the superintendent? How do you feel the relationship building is going? Um, tell me a little bit about that. So we, uh, the school board hired a new superintendent. She was our former um, deputy superintendent. She went to Broward County for a few months because um, issues with Dr. Fritz and the school board members reached out to her and asked her to come back. She's been back for a few months um, and things are improving. I'm hearing positive things. Nothing's perfect yet. We have a ways to go, but I'm hearing positive things from the teachers. They're happier. Um, her communication with parents is amazing. I had my very first Teams meeting with her this morning. Um, I had sent her an email that just had some questions. I was just expecting her to answer the questions in the email, but she felt it important to have herself, the new deputy superintendent, and her team together to reach out to me to answer the questions together in case I had any other come up. I never even received an email response from Dr. Fritz. So this is very positive. Wow. Well, I, I, this is really what it's about. And I think you being able to build relationships in your community and to really show how much parents do want to partner with our children's schools, that we will not co-parent with the government where, and, and with our children's medical care and their education. The parents need to be the ones steering all of yes. that. But that we do, we do respect teachers and their role in our children's lives. And we do want to partner with our kids' teachers. And you just exemplify building those relationships to make it happen, Jennifer. So thank you yes, for that. I've also, um, do you oh, have a, no, please. Well, uh, on the reaching out and creating relationships, I just wanted to mention, um, and this might seem a little weird to people because across the country, we don't have very much success or very much help from the teachers union. However, here in Volusia County, um, our teacher union president does agree with us on some issues. So I found some common ground with her. And the first thing was the teachers, the crisis with the teachers. Just like the rest of the country, Volusia County is losing teachers. We lost a lot last year. We're having a hard time retaining them now. I think a lot of it had to do with the previous administration. But I reached out to the teacher union president and said, hey, if the teachers aren't happy and the teachers are walking out, that means the students aren't getting a quality education. They're sitting in the gym floor for core classes more than once a week, more than once a day. Um, so we came together and the teachers were petrified to speak out because they were in fear of retaliation. So I offered as Moms for Liberty to have some of our members and myself read anonymous letters from the teachers, letting the district know what they're experiencing in the classroom. And from there, that relationship has grown. She is now working with me um, on the books in the media centers because I showed her the content that we're talking about, not what the mainstream media is trying to say to the teachers, of what we're complaining about. Um, and she is helping educate them that we're not just banning books, that we actually want this sexually explicit content removed from the school libraries. That's so great, Jennifer. And I think it's really important. You know, you're right. We, we do give the, the teachers unions at the national level a very hard time because they have been a part of keeping schools closed, unfortunately, 
And so many kids have suffered because of lockdowns and mandates. And so um, I show no mercy to Randy Weingarten or, or the, the the heads of the teachers union at that level. But I, I have said before, and I continue to say, when we're talking about public education, I think it's very important to know these are our community members. It's hard to get up and speak about something that's happening in your schools. These are our friends. These are our, the parents of, of our of, of our kids' friends, right? These are these are community members that you're going to see at the supermarket, and we have to work to build relationships with them and try to understand each other so that we don't have an adversarial relationship. I think right now, and I'm curious about your take on this, why do you think it is that, I mean, is it that parents have just been pushed so far out of the process of the communication and the partnership with schools that we're fighting to get our way back in? Because it does sometimes feel adversarial or we're taken as being adversarial. Is it just because that relationship has been so badly broken? Um, yes, I, be I believe that's part of it. And I also think a lot of the parents were asleep and just had a trust in the teachers, in the education system, myself included in that, um, that we always felt that they had the best interest of our children at heart. And we all woke up to a very grim nightmare, uh, for a lack of a better word. It, that was my experience. Um, and when COVID happened and they took the volunteering out of the schools and the meet the teacher out of the schools and the orientation, that really placed a huge gap. And with the anger from the parents from waking up to all this stuff that they find out is happening, all this stuff they find out is in the schools. Um, and then to say, hey, I'm the parent, this is what I want and have the school push back so hard to say, no, you don't. You don't know as, as, as well as we do. We're the teachers, you're just a parent. Um, they don't seem to understand that we, the parents, are the only ones that will truly have the best interest of our children at the forefront. Um, and then with, you know, not being able to volunteer, not being able to, you know, join the media center advisory committees, you know, for this reason or that reason, it's a lot of resistance. So, yeah, you're going to get a lot of um, it's, it's, it's going to be aggravating, I think, on, on both sides. I think so too. And and I think it's interesting. People ask me oftentimes, they're like, what what was it that triggered the parents? Was it the CRT? Was it the you know, woke ideology in general? And and I, I say to people often, I think it was it wasn't so much that it was there. I mean, they're upset that it was uh -huh. there. It was it was when they came to the district and they said, Oh my gosh, these books are in the libraries, or this is being taught. Why is this being done? And instead of being heard and listened to. And the schools, they were just ignored. And it just showed us that they were so deeply entrenched in some of this work and that they were so invested in protecting the system and not protecting the students and the families. Yes. And so, you know, I, I think that it was, it's that, it's, it's the idea that somehow you're going to silence parents at the board, in the boardroom, and that's going to make issues or problems go away. And, and that's just not the case. Um, because I know you and your chapter during the forced masking were out there every day in front of schools, holding signs, making people aware of what was happening. And I just want to say to you, you have been um, uh, someone that I've really looked up to in Florida um, as a mom. Um, because you just fought relentlessly. I mean, you knew in your heart that what was happening was wrong and you rallied a community together. So thank you for your dedicated leadership at Moms for Liberty, um, for being a chapter chair. I know it's not easy all the time, 
Um, but I do think uh, we're making a difference. And I, I think you're a wonderful role model for so many moms and dads across the country. So thank, oh, you, thank you so much for that. It, it's it's not always my pleasure, but it's my pleasure. And I just, I have the drive. Like God gives me this drive every day to try to help in the best ways that I can. And I ask for his guidance in doing that. And that is really what's been keeping me on track and um And that's just what I have my faith in. And it's been helping. Well, we love and appreciate you. And I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you, uh, Joyful Warrior Jennifer Kelly. Thank you. 